Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can follow us on Facebook or visit our website at BeatitudesChurch.org. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society. Today's scripture comes from Genesis 12, verses 10 through 20. Then a famine came to the land. Abram went down to Egypt to live. It was a hard famine. As he drew near to Egypt, he said to his wife Sarai, Look, we both know that you're a beautiful woman. When the Egyptians see you, they're going to say, Aha, that's his wife, and kill me. But they'll let you live. Do me a favor. Tell them you're my sister. Because of you, they'll welcome me and let me live. When Abram arrived in Egypt, the Egyptians took one look and saw that his wife was stunningly beautiful. Pharaoh's princes raved over her to the Pharaoh. She was taken to live with the Pharaoh. Because of her, Abram got along very well. He accumulated sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, men and women servants, and camels. But God hit Pharaoh hard because of Abram's wife, Sarai. Everybody in the palace got violently sick. Pharaoh called for Abram. What's this that you've done to me? Why didn't you tell me that she's your wife? Why did you say, she's my sister? so that I'd take her as my wife. Here's your wife back. Take her and get out. Pharaoh ordered his men to get Abram out of the country. They sent him and his wife and everything he owned on their way. Here ends the reading. Do you consider yourself a moral person? If the answer is yes, then hear this next question. Do you consider yourself above average when it comes to your sense of morality? Now, if you have the courage to be honest with yourself, more than likely you should have answered yes. Because Ben Tappan, who is a graduate student in psychology, he came with up with a study, and in this study, he asked people questions, gauging how they considered themselves as far as morality versus how they considered other people's sense of morality. His conclusion is the following. Most people consider themselves paragons or the perfect example of virtue, in particular, trust and honesty. Again, what his point is emphasizing is that when questioned, the majority of people saw themselves as being a perfect example and actually somewhat above average when it came to their moral sense of who they are, and in particular with areas of honest, honesty and trustworthiness. But he continues in his search, in his study, he says the following, yet few individuals perceive this same abundance of virtue in others. So again, I see myself as being above average 
and the majority of people are below me and perhaps even below average. What's interesting, though, is this not only applies to individuals, it also applies to groups. A professor of ethical leadership at NYU by the name of Jonathan Haidt, he took a same kind of study that was done for individuals and he applied it to groups to get a sense of how they see their own sense of morality. And he came to the same conclusion, that people, even as groups, saw themselves as being morally superior to other groups. Hear what he says. I'm quite confident that we walk around all the time with a feeling that our group is morally superior to the other group. We hate the other group. It's important to show constantly how much better our side is and anything the other side does, we will take in the worst possible light. Now, perhaps you can think of examples in our society right now where that is true. So this is nothing new. In fact, in 1999, one scholar said the following, when the moral order is seen as absolute rather than relative, moral superiority is incompatible with tolerance for difference. So it's one thing to think that you are morally superior above everyone else. But when you believe that you're dealing with a moral issue that is not relative, but it's absolute, then actually that superiority can create a sense of conflict with you and others. And again, we see this happening throughout our society in so many different ways right now. But it shouldn't surprise us. Because this tendency to see ourselves as morally superior to other people this tendency has been going on for thousands of years. The ancients tell stories to picture one group of people against another group. One as being morally right, the other as being morally far off as you can get. One example of this we find in the Hebrew Bible is in the story talking about Exodus. There in that story, it becomes quite clear very early on to the reader that you have two groups. You have two individuals. The first individual is the hero. That's Moses. The antagonist, Pharaoh. Moses is in charge of the Israelites, the group of people. Pharaoh, his group, is the Egyptians. They are totally opposite. The Israelites are going to be seen as moral and innocent. The Egyptians with Pharaoh are going to be seen as immoral and degrading of other people. The backstory kind of gives us a reason why this happens. It creates this dichotomy, this dualism between that is which group is moral and what group is immoral. The backstory is that Jacob and his 12 sons, they are living in Canaan, and a famine hits. They realize the only way they're going to get out of this alive is if they make the trek down south to Egypt. Fortunately for them, one of those sons is already there by the name of Joseph. 
And Joseph has procured for them an opening with Pharaoh. And so when his father and his, son and his brothers arrive into Egypt, they're given a part of land called Goshen. That's theirs. And there they reside for hundreds of years. And then they get tired of being oppressed. And these innocent group of people, the victim of the Egyptians, call out to God. And God hears them and brings Moses back to them. And when Moses comes back, he becomes their deliverer. And God acts on their behalf by liberating them by sending plagues. Throughout the story, however, Pharaoh is stubborn. They can't get him to shift and do what would be best for all of Egypt and Israel. No, instead, Pharaoh is very stubborn. He's not going to shift his point of view. The text says that God was a part of that. But even if you leave that part out, you still get a sense where Pharaoh says, no, I'm going to have nothing to do with this. We need these people. We need them as our slaves so we can continue to build and our economy can continue to thrive. In one particular place in Exodus, Pharaoh says, who in the world is this Yahweh that you keep talking about? I don't even know who this God is. Why would I listen to this God? It's like the God is nothing to me. And as you read the story, you eventually find out that the Egyptians do get free. And when they leave, they take a ton of other stuff with them that isn't theirs. But they take it so that they can prosper once they leave Egypt. And again, the story is fabulous if you want to see this dichotomy between a group of people that are moral and a group of people who are immoral. But not all ancient stories follow this, this pattern. Occasionally, a writer will come along and tell a story and will actually flip it so that the hero actually becomes the one that is immoral and the antagonist looks in a positive way as being more moral than the hero even. A perfect story of this is found in Genesis chapter 12, verses 10 and forward. In this story, it is built upon what is called the sister-wife motif. It's fascinating. When you open up Genesis, you'll find that this motif of calling a woman not only your sister, but also your wife, is told three different times. In Genesis 20, it's Abraham, his wife Sarah, and the king in, Babel, in Palestine, Abimelech. In Genesis 26, this exact same story happens again, but now the characters have shifted. Now it's Isaac, Rebekah, and Abimelech. Now, these two stories exist in parallel. In my mind, I think there's a real possibility that a writer came along and took this story and reworked it in such a way that as you heard this new story, it would draw a parallel between that story 
and what happened in the Exodus. In Genesis 12, I believe that's the reworking of the story. The writer takes the story in Genesis 20, and now it is no longer going to be in Canaan. It's going to occur in Egypt. No longer will it be Abimelech. Now it will be Pharaoh. And as you read the story in Genesis 12, the parallels between what you find there and what happened in the Exodus are striking. We're told in Genesis 12 that the reason why Abraham and his wife and all of his, the rest of his group go down to Egypt is because there's a famine in the land. And it is this famine that, again, necessitates that they go to Egypt where there are more likely abundance of food because how you would experience a famine in Palestine in the Canaan region versus down in Egypt would be totally different. When they arrive down in Egypt, Abraham realizes that he needs favor with the Pharaoh. So he comes up with a lie. He tells his wife, all the men, and in particular Pharaoh, are going to think you're really good looking. I need you to do something. You need to tell them that you are my sister. And then being my sister, they will show favor upon me, and I won't die. Now, that means you're going to have to go in, into Pharaoh's court and become a part of his harem, but uh, that's okay, because I, I don't die. And that's what happens in the story. The men of Egypt see Sarah, realize she's very attractive, tells the Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, well, bring her here. She comes to the court. Pharaoh likes what he sees, and he sends a ton of stuff to Abraham, thanking him for his sister. Well, Pharaoh doesn't know that Abraham's sister is really Abraham's wife. And as the story progresses, God again intervenes. And when God intervenes, just like he did in the Exodus story, God sends a plague. And the plague hits Abimelech. And now theories are abounding as far as what that plague actually was. Some actually believe it was tied to a sense of sterility, that those in Egypt could not have children anymore. Whatever that plague was, it was enough to get Pharaoh's attention. We're not told how, but apparently Pharaoh puts the dots together and realizes that what he thought was Abraham's sister really was his wife. And the story says he tells Abraham, look, take your wife, take all your belongings that I gave you, and get out of here. Now, when you look at these two characters in this story, and you look at the actions of Abraham, this isn't a very moral being. He lies. He's willing to put another's life less than his own in jeopardy. And then, 
when he's caught, he doesn't say, oh, I, I'm, I'm sorry. Here, take back everything you give me, you gave me. He, he does the opposite. And he becomes wealthy at the expense of his wife and Pharaoh. Now look at Pharaoh. Pharaoh is the one who is morally superior to Abraham. He does nothing wrong. He follows the wisdom and the words that are spoken to him. He doesn't know that Abraham's wife is, I mean, Abraham's sister is really his wife. And when he does find out, he acknowledges God, and then he gives Sarah back to Abraham. He lets Abraham keep all the gifts that he gave him, and then he sends him on his way. He in no way retaliates against Abraham. So when you read the story, all of a sudden you realize is that the one that you expect to be morally superior, Abraham, he's not. Pharaoh is. And so while we see this parallel between this story and what happened for the exodus of Israel, that's where the change takes place. In the exodus for Israel, Pharaoh is the antagonist, and he is immoral. But by telling this story, the writer flips it, and all of a sudden, who you expect to be the immoral person, Pharaoh, isn't. This story seems to tell us that seeing yourself as morally superior to others doesn't always work out that way. This then becomes quite interesting because these stories are told along with these other stories and those who read and hear these stories are left somewhat conflicted. Those who you consider to be morally inferior to you may actually end up being morally superior to you. This story was so important that even after the Bible, all the writings came together in a form of a canon and it became solidified. This story continued to be transmitted within the Jewish community and the Christian community in other sources. Why? Perhaps it teaches a lesson that we continually as human beings need to hear. That we're not too quick to judge other people. That we're not too quick to make assumptions about other people. And perhaps we should be careful about not thinking too highly of ourselves in relation to other people. I wonder if Jesus had in his mind this story when he told his followers, oh, by the way, before you see the speck in your brother's eye, why don't you stop and find the log in your own? 
over the next 90 to 100 days, the tension within our country is going to continue to grow. We think it's hot when it comes to the temperature in Phoenix. Things are going to get hotter politically as well in the area of moral and ethics. We will hear people talking about individuals. We will hear people talking about groups as being immoral. And now you know that that is a tendency we have to see either ourselves or the group we belong as being morally superior to others. Maybe we need to remember this story. And for the next 90 days or so, we would stop and realize that we are all human beings, that we are all doing the best that we can. And we won't be so quick to speak words against or act harshly against other people. Perhaps we can embrace again our humanity, our oneness, and realize that we are all endeavoring to live moral lives, but it just looks different in different times and in different places. Amen. Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can help us to continue this program by making your donations at beatitudeschurch.org backslash online dash giving. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society.